0: Alright, my nose. Is that better? Yeah. Alright, my name's Josh. I get to preach from time to time. Some of you may know me, but this is a, a long passage, but it's a very easy passage because Jesus just repeated himself four times. So even if you're an average teacher at best, you're going to walk away with something because Jesus was very, very clear. This is a, a simple message because he gets right to the point. So the, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about uh, hypocrisy. I'm just curious have you guys ever heard the word humble boast or humble brag it's kind of a new term Dunwell's know it so two people know it it is this here's what a humble brag is it's a self-deprecating statement whose actual purpose is to draw attention to something of which one is proud so in the age of social media here's what a humble brag is it's a way of saying something online usually about yourself or your life that gets out this wonderful news about you so people can say that's awesome but you got to kind of couch it in such a way so that they don't just see you being awesome, but they see you saying, that guy's humble. So I, what I did is I, the humble brag has its own Twitter. This, this is a humble brag Twitter account. And we're just going to walk through and see kind of the humble bragginess of various people. None of these people go to our church, so don't look around. Don't try to figure out who it is. <laughs> but here's one person saying on their tweet, why does this Mercedes dealership always have fresh, fresh baked hot cookies? Don't they understand how mean that is? They want you to know they're at a Mercedes dealership. <laughs> they can't just say, I'm at a Mercedes dealership, you're not. So they've got to bring up the cookies and say, oh. Da, da, da. Humble brag. Next one. I might be the only New Yorker ever to pass up having lunch with Don Matting, that's the famous baseball player and coach, because I'm on a detox and can't eat lunch. LOL. Ha ha ha. Real funny. Humble brag. This person knows Don Mattingly. He was the Dodgers manager. He was a New York Yankee star forever. They want you to know, oh, by the way, Don Mattingly, he's my boy. He's not your boy. Here's a way to say it without being just overtly arrogant. Here's the next one. It's been 10 years, but I still feel so uncomfortable with being recognized. Just a bit shy still, I suppose, says this famous actress who is on Twitter with millions of followers saying this very humble braggy thing. She likes it. She's at it. She's a star. She's just a way to say, ah, oh, this stardom is really hard. Next one. Sitting in the Ritz Carlton waiting to have coffee with a U.S. ambassador. Um, this is not a normal day. Thank you for telling me that you're in a Ritz Carlton. I've never been in one, and you're with an ambassador. I've never even seen one of those guys before, girls. Wonderful, great for you. And that's all I have, I think, is the next one, yeah. What's the point? Here's what's true. The heart behind the humble bragginess that wants people to see something special about these folks is the heart that's always existed. It's not new to today. That's what Jesus is going after. The human heart craves attention. And Jesus is very clear. The first word in this whole message is beware. That's not something you want to feed. That's something you want to be aware of. So whether you are 75 years old and you've never been on Twitter and never posted anything on social media, your heart craves attention, and craves to be praised by others. And this whole message is written to all of us in the room, me included, who wanna go about our lives so that people can see us and say, at a boy, at a boy, at a girl. Great job. And Jesus is saying, that's not the best way to go about it. So here's the reality of this message it's gonna stick as much as you allow God to let it stick. And it's going to move and change as much as you allow, and I allow God to move and change us. So I want to stop and just pray before we jump into this text. So bow with me. God, this message is a, a private message in that it's a lot of just heart checking, doing on our own. The, the essence behind hypocrisy is we're not being honest with others. So th- this is going to take us being honest with ourselves if this text in your word is going to do anything in us and through us. So God, I just pray for a a humility, a softness, a teachability through this text for all of us, me included, that you would speak to us and that we would actually be changed because of this message and we would crave your attention, God, more than anything else. So God, be with us this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So here's how we're going to walk through this text. There's three sections what we're going to do. First, what is this? We're going to just walk through this entire text, minus the Lord's Prayer. We'll hit that at the end. And we're going to watch the public hypocrisy that Jesus saw. So we're going to just walk through each of these little uh, issues Jesus was noticing, and we're going to look at those. And then we're going to do this. We're going to talk about the public hypocrisy in us. And I'm going to do it through me primarily how have I seen this in my life and hopefully it filters out to you and you can kind of wrestle through what you think God's saying to you and then lastly the inward solution that we all need so that's what we're doing the public hypocrisy that Jesus saw how do we see it in ourselves me specifically how do I see it and what's the inward change that needs to happen to walk out of here less hypocritical and more desiring of an audience of one God being our only source of attention and approval so that's what we're doing today if you've been here for any length of time we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. So I just want to make sure we see how this fits in the context. Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' pinnacle message for Christianity. This is what Christianity looks like. So here's what you've seen. First week, you saw Luke Simmons preach on the blessed life. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who make. Blessed, blessed. The blessed life is a certain way, and it's far different than the American dream life that a lot of us have been uh, sold on and bought into. So we started with the blessed life. And then Luke went into... The church, the church is the salt and light of the earth. So that blessed life should be played out amongst all us as individuals, as the church, we should be the salt and light in this world. And then Luke had a fantastic message on Jesus. How does Jesus fit fit into this? If the church is the salt and light, we don't really need Jesus. No, that's not what it says. It says Jesus is the only one who ever did any of this perfectly. He is the cornerstone. He is the pinnacle. He's the foundation. He is the fulfillment of all this. And then last week, uh, Will, I can still can't say his last name, Willie V did a wonderful job walking through a huge passage. And Will's message and my message dovetail perfectly because Jesus is now getting into actually living out the Christian life. And what we saw from Will last week was this. Beware of lowering the bar. So in your marriage, if your success bar is you've never physically had an affair with another person, Your bar is too low and he walks through all these kind of laws your bar is too low your bar is too low and Will's main point was our daddy's like this we need to strive to be like this and then how does that dovetail with my message today? Not only is there a danger of having the bar too low I'm a dad I'm a great dad I've never punched any of my kids congratulations you have this high of a bar. Here's what today's message is all about beware of having a bar that's actually pretty high and you jumping over it, but you jumping over it with the wrong motives, wrong desires, wrong inward stuff going on. So you've never hit your kids, but everything you do in your parenting is so that people can look at you and think, Jesus says, beware of both. Beware of a low bar. The bar is Jesus. It's very hard. And beware of actually getting close to the righteousness Jesus said to have, but doing it with motives that are goofy and twisted and sinful. That's what we're talking through today. So the first thing we're talking about is what I said, the public hypocrisy Jesus saw. So here's what we're going to do. Let's look at verse 1 here so Jesus can set up the entire day. If you miss this you've missed the entire day verse 1 tells us exactly what we're going to be talking about beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven that's the big idea that's all I'm going to try to say I'm going to say it a lot of times if you walk out of here walk out of here with that so Jesus is not saying don't be a hypocrite. It's, it's not a general statement about hypocrisy in the world. It's a specific Christian-focused hypocrisy. Don't be a Christian that does the Christian stuff so that other people can see you and think, huh, I like that guy. He's, he's good. Don't be a preacher who preaches in such a way so that you get attaboys after the service. Ouch, that's on me. That's what he's saying. Beware of doing your good deeds in such a way that the primary audience in your head is the watching people around you. It's the invisible Father in heaven that you should be concerned about. So here's what we're gonna do. Verse two, let's see the first way Jesus sees this displayed. Verse two says this. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. So. Three questions for each of these scenarios. Here's what we're going to do. First question is, what show is put on? So in this verse, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. So Jesus is in a day when what was happening, a religious ceremony, they would walk into town and they would blow trumpets and blow horns. And people would walk into a church like this, a synagogue, and they would give money into the giving box. We have mailboxes in the back. They even had a lot of like horns that resembled the horns that were being blown. And people would drop money in there. And they would make a public spectacle, so everyone could stop. Look at Joe. He just dropped 100 bucks. Look at Susie. She just dropped 400 bucks of boy, that's the show being put on. Now here's the second question we're going to ask of all these. What reward was earned or lost? Because here's at the heart of what Jesus is saying, beware of. So I want to just define reward so it, this helps us a little. Here's the reward I think that these people are after and we're after a lot. It's the fleeting attention from a finite sinful person that feeds your ego temporarily. So these people, whoever they were, the religious Pharisees, scribes, but in a lot of ways it was probably a lot of the people because they set the religious tone of the day, they wanted to have this moment where they thought, that guy saw me and that girl saw me. Mm, I feel good about myself. And that's the very same thing today. What we get when we do something for the show before other people is we get an attaboy from a finite sinful person that feeds our ego temporarily. That's it. One of my best friends is a high school football coach in the inner city. His team is terrible. It's always been terrible. Each year they get more terrible. He rarely wins. So I ask him, how's your team? He says, we're terrible. We lost 186 to zero. I'm like, how's that even possible? But he's a Christian man and he's just so grounded. And I was just, we were talking one time and he said something very interesting. He's like, you know, it's not that big a deal. I wish we were better, honestly. But I think of, and he named a coach out in this area that is a nationally known coach who wins and wins and wins. He's like, you know what that guy gets? He gets his staff thinking about him for about this much time, and then they go home and forget about him. They get the parents thinking about him for this much time, and then they go home and forget about him even at our best, doing wonderful things for a watching world, the most we can get is fleeting attention. Attention that doesn't last that long from finite sinful people that will feed our our ego just so temporarily. That's what's at stake. That's the reward that these folks are after. Here's the reward God's wanting for us. It's the perfect approval and unending generosity from our infinite Father that never fades away. So the stakes are high. It's, do you want your offensive line coach to think about you for 10 seconds on his dry home and think, that's a great coach? Or do you want your heavenly father to have this unending generosity toward you and this fatherly approval that never fades away? That's the rewards It's like We're going to see it played out time and time again. Let's go back. We got a third question here. Now, here's what Jesus does. He's not, he doesn't just blast us and say, figure it out. He blasts us and says Here's something to think about And I call these safeguards So we see it here in verse um, Middle of verse 2 Truly I say to you They have received their reward Verse 3 Jesus says Think about putting a safeguard in He says this But when you give to the needy Do not let your left hand Know what your right hand is doing So that your giving may be in secret And your father who sees in secret Will reward you There's a They say this is kind of just a proverbial term that was used in the Middle East. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's meaning be so secretive that you even forget yourself what you just gave. He's saying set up stuff in your life so that even as you give, you've forgotten by the time you've turned around and walked out the room. Put a safeguard in place to help you. So as a church, we think we have a giving box in the back. We don't make a public spectacle of it. There's ways to do it publicly, but there's also ways to do it privately. And Jesus is telling these people, when you give, and you should give, give in such a way that you even forget what you've given. I was reading an article about the baby boomers. I think my dad's like the youngest of the baby boomers. But just talking about all the money in the baby boomers' generation. In just all the ways that the baby boomer generation can give as they head into retirement and head towards uh, leaving this earth. Sorry to uh, bring that up. But. And the baby boomers in the room need to think through it. How am I going to pass this money on in such a way that even I have kind of forgotten what I've given? That's what Jesus is saying. Your heart is twisted. And it wants public approval and you will get the reward you're after if you want people to notice you you'll get that reward but you lose me if you want the reward of me you get me but you don't get this one you get exactly what you want that's a that's a stark statement so that's the first thing we see here in verse 5 let's see the next one verse 5 Jesus sees other people and he calls them out says when you pray you must not be like the hypocrites For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Again, same question. What's the show being put on? They publicly were praying. Now, is Jesus saying, don't ever pray in public? No. A lot of us are, my mom was scared to death to ever pray in front of people. Jesus is saying that we should pray in public. We should pray as a church. I've prayed twice now up on stage. That's a thing we should do. But are you praying so the people stop and go, wow. I think of small group times. We have redemption community. When you pray, do the theological words coming out of your mouth come from a heart of God, I want to talk with you, or from a heart, I want these people to hear these words. Oh, gracious Yahweh God of hosts, you are. If that's how you pray, do it. But if you put on a show in your prayer life, Jesus is saying, don't, you'll get the reward. Especially the young Christians who are trying to figure out will be really impressed with you, but they'll also be really scared and turned off by how scary it is to be a Christian. Because if that's what it is, I can never do that. That's why guys have a hard time praying. We've got like six words in our vocabulary. My wife and I were just having a discussion. She's like, you got more words than that? I said, that's about it. That's all I got. Next question. What reward was earned or lost? Again, it's the same thing. These people walked into synagogues and walked on the street corners praying with these big elaborate theological words, and they earned their reward. People watched and stopped for a second and thought, wow, that's impressive. And they forfeited the reward from their heavenly father. Is that reward an eternal thing that's given at the end of days? Perhaps. But it's also very likely stuff that happens right here, right now in our lives. Could it be financial, perhaps? It could be just the sweetness of relationship. It could be the joy of knowing your God, your Father is pleased with you. It could be a lot of things. But you're leaving a reward on the table that you could have had so that people can think you're something. That's what's happening. And then what safeguard Jesus puts in place? He says, verse eight, verse six, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, this is not formulaic, this is how we have to pray. Go in your closet, clear out the stuff at the bottom and get down on your hands and knees. He's saying your prayer life should be sweetest and most intimate when no one else is aware of it. So I have a hard time just praying like on my couch in the morning. So a lot of times I walk. Jesus would be saying, don't go on a prayer walk in the morning and then come back and ask your wife how her morning is. She says, oh, what have you been doing? Been praying for 35 minutes. What have you been doing? Eating Captain Crunch? Interesting. Maybe you should come pray with me sometime. Could you last 35 minutes on a prayer walk as I have? That's what Jesus is saying. There's w- now, that's very overt, but we, the human heart finds little ways to get it out there that, look at me. And lastly, we'll see this. We're going to skip over the Lord's Prayer. We'll come back to it. Jump down to verse 16. This is the, the third scene Jesus calls out. He says, when you fast, that would be... Not eating or drinking, except for water a lot of times. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Again, what is the show? People have gone a long time without food and a lot of, uh, probably not water, but drink. Jesus fasted for 40 days. Picture yourself if you haven't eaten for 40 days. Jesus is saying, don't come into the room with a show, don't make it look like you haven't been eaten. Because you just walked in and all you really wanted was the people to notice that you're really devout and they're not because you fasted. Next question, what reward was earned or lost? Again, same thing. They walk in, a few people think, oh, that's impressive. And their heavenly father reward is left on the table. What safeguard is in place? Again, Jesus is very practical. He doesn't give us nothing to figure this out. He gives us very tangible things to think through. He says, verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head, And wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He says, fast. Give up food for 40 days. But get yourself ready enough to where no one even knows you haven't been eating. Don't bring it up. Don't try to get people to coax it out of you. What have you been doing lately? Well, not really eating. (laughs) Oh, really? Why not? because I'm fasting. Have you ever heard of that? No one? Be secretive about it because God is watching you and he wants to be your reward. Again, Jesus is very clear. Hits it, hits it, and hits it again. Now, if I'm honest, a lot of these things don't really apply to me. Not the heart of it, but just fasting. I can't go a day without some food, so it's never going to be a huge deal for me. And a lot of these are very cultural. I'm never going to walk into a synagogue and trumpets going off. Like it's, it's another time. Right here, right now, what does this passage say to us? So what I want to do is just walk through me, the public hypocrisy we see in us, but I want to do it primarily through me and just the heart check I've done recently. So I've got three of them. There's plenty more. You guys that know me could probably shout out some more, but here's... Here's what I see in me, this passage being played out. The first one primarily is parenting in public. I I mean, if the identities that really shape you most, it's your husband, your dad, and you're an employee of whatever. So it's good to want to do those well. It's not good to want to be a dad in such a way that people notice my fatherhood and think, that's amazing. So I've seen this in my own life. I've got to be aware that I want to be seen as something in my dad life, and I forfeit the gift and the reward of God. So how have I seen this specifically? Instagram. I have an Instagram account. I haven't been on it in a while now. But I remember, it was like two years ago, I was playing with my kids and something really funny happened. Something awesome happened, because that's what always happens in our house when I'm the dad. Something awesome. And I had to capture it, and I captured it. And then I'm sitting there, pull out my phone, and I'm thinking through how to describe this moment so that the watching world can look in on me as a dad and think, wow, he is something special. Look how, look how cute him and his kids are. And look, at, look how wonderful he is with his boys. Gosh, that is amazing. And shortly thereafter, I had to quit because I realized my heart was always drawn towards the attention that I was getting through social media in my parenting. I'm not saying social media is evil. It is what it is. But the reward that was lost and gained was real in my life. So in that moment, something was lost. A reward from my heavenly father, a really sweet moment with me and my boys. Who knows what that reward was? It could have just been the sweetest look for my kid. But my face was down thinking of something clever to say to describe this moment. It could have been something more eternal and waiting that's coming at the end of time. I don't know, but I lost it. And I gained a few likes and a few people looking at their screen thinking, hey, Josh guy, he's a clever dad. That's what's at stake here. So what safeguards could I have in place? Social media, I just try to keep my parenting off of it because I just know my heart. I want to be seen as a dad who's got it figured out, who's doing this Christian thing fairly well and is doing it in a fun sort of way. So I I just can't post much about my parenting because I know how my heart is. That's me. I don't know what it is for you. I know social media in general needs to be thought through, especially for the younger people. We, we've been raised in this generation where every thought that comes in our head needs to be relayed. The question now is, are you filtering it through this lens of whose praise do I want? You got to be thinking about it. Other ways I see this, how you discipline your kids in public. Are you a lazy, slothful dad at home? And then you get in public and you are reciting the Ten Commandments from memory. Son, the Lord our God is faithful. Thou shalt not, son. You know that, son. And at home, you're on your fat butt watching TV the entire day. Like the public and private persona. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to think through. The next thing I see in my life is Uh, This is awkward because I'm doing it right now, but my leadership and preaching. So preaching is not that big of a draw of my heart towards public praise. I I don't know why I I don't like being on stage. God has kind of moved me into this role. I never wanted to talk in front of people, now I got to do it. But with my preaching, I've had to figure out, when I get off the stage, I've got to be able to receive compliments because God does stuff in preaching and receive critique and then quickly move on and not camp out there and just soak in it. So I've got to say, I've had to publicly or personally figure out how to receive a thank you honestly and sincerely. And if you have something I say after, I will honestly mean it and I will say thank you so much. If you have an honest critique, I will honestly think through it. And then I've got to honestly figure out how to leave that behind quickly and move on. Otherwise, I just soak in public approval. But leadership in general is my Achilles heel. I get to lead ministries and build stuff and build a student ministry. And I see this when I'm around other church people. And I've, I'm a pastor at Redemption. and People go, wow, Redemption. That's a, that's a great church. Yeah, it is. And I'm a pastor there. Thank you. <laughs> How's your student ministry? Great, great, great. It's growing. And I've get, I just feel it in me. It's, I hate it, but it's there. So when I'm around other youth pastors that are growing faster ministries than me, I got to find ways to one-up them. How many kids you got? Wow, 300, wow. Have you added a ukulele player to your worship band yet? No? Well, then get on my level, and then we can talk. But I know when I'm around people that think about church leadership a lot, my heart is drawn towards their approval and praise. We just had a redemption pastors meeting and we kind of share God's stories. How's God working in Alhambra? How's God working at Gateway? How's God working in Gilbert? And I'm sitting in the back of the room and I so desperately want to raise my hand and say, let me tell you about Fuse. That was our event we just did for students. And I'm sitting there thinking there, and this message is sitting on my brain. I'm like, why do I want to say, let's talk about Fuse? I want these men that I respect a ton to say, wow, that's cool. You came up with that yourself? That's right. You haven't thought of something like this yet? Interesting. <laughs> so I had to, in my head, say, what? God was watching. Move on. But the, my heart's twisted, and I'm going to go stand up here and talk to you as a, with a twisted heart, but you have the same twisted heart. We all have the same problem. What safeguard have I found in my ministry and my leadership? Lord willing, I'm going to be a youth pastor or a pastor for a long, long time. I have to have people that are outside my church bubble. That could care less about me in my role. They care about me, but they don't care anything about redemption. So, my closest friends that we hang out, with, me and my wife get to go out with, hopefully do cruises with, all this sort of fun stuff, don't go to redemption. They're all believers, but they just don't care. They don't ask me about all the nuts and bolts of it, they don't care, and that's good for my soul. And some of you need it. There's a lot of successful people in this room. You need to get out of the the circle of success and the bubble that feeds that and get with people who just don't care about you and what you're engineering, how much paper you've sold, whatever it is you do. They just don't care. Walking down these hallways, there's lots of godly, successful men and women. And it's good for them to be in those rooms with a bunch of kids that don't care. Couldn't name what software they just developed. Couldn't name anything that they are just worldly renowned in. Huh? I just need you to wipe my tush. That's all I am mean. here. <laughs> Can you get on this? Because it's a little itchy. Let's do this. I don't. Be around people that just don't care. And then here's the last one I see in my life. Lifestyle choice. What I mean by that. My Christianity sh- shapes stuff about my life. Specifically, I went into high school teaching because I wanted to do ministry in a high school setting. High school teachers don't make a lot. And then God moved me out of that into pastoral ministry and pastors don't make a lot. And what I saw just through time, especially with my family, because both me and my wife, all the siblings kind of, they married well. Aubrey married for look, she left the money behind. <laughs> But people talk, our siblings talk, what are you doing? Oh, I'm gonna go to Jamaica and then bounce over to Paris and then I'm gonna head back to New York. Oh, what are you guys doing? I'm gonna go to the Olive Mill in Queen Creek. <laughs> Maybe Uber there, I don't, we'll see. But I could see myself talking in conversations with family members to where I was letting it out that we can't do what you're doing because I've made a lifestyle choice that limits my finances. Aren't you impressed? Oh, you wanna go there? Ah, oh, I wish, but. I'm serving the Lord as people. And I don't make that much money. So So my safeguard is as our family talks about these wonderful things they do, I have to check my heart and not bring money into the equation. Because I know what I'm trying to do. it sucks. But I'm like that, but that's the reality. Jesus says, Beware of how you try to get out of boys and out of girls. It's there and everyone's gotta figure it out for themselves. Just just Christians in general, I see this a lot with kind of how you view marriage and parenting in a lot of ways, and the choices you've made in those two areas, and you want people to know about it, maybe because you want to be a good helper and teacher, but maybe, just maybe, because you want people to look at you and think, wow, you have a date night every week? Wow. You have sit time with your kids, so your kids sit right here? For 15 minutes while you talk to your spouse? Wow. Maybe you're trying to help, but maybe, just maybe, you want to be impressive. And that's what Jesus says be careful of being impressive. The reward you get is not that great. So, how do we wrap this thing up? As Jesus just comes after us, comes after us, comes after us. What's the inward change that we all need? It's the same. And I'll say this, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, there's a lot of stuff we need to think through in our lifestyle. And there's a lot of heavy thoughts that need to filter down in our brain, in our heart, and work in our lives. But at the core of the Sermon on the Mount is a simple, simple message. And it's this, that God is your Father. I want to show you a diagram real quick. Now, this is going to be confusing. But behind a lot of scripture and text, there's like hidden meaning, not like... Weird, mystical, hidden meaning, but the writers kind of wrote poetically in a way that we weren't aware of. So, this is what people have seen in the Sermon on the Mount. It's called a chiastic pyramid. And it says the, the very beginning and the very end match up. Then the next part and the next, the second to last part match up, match up, match up. And then the point of everything Jesus says is the center, which is 6 5 through 15, the Lord's Prayer. Meaning, don't miss. Don't miss the fatherhood of God as you think through all the ways you need to get better and get better motives. Don't miss it. God is your father in all this. That's the thing that we all need. I want to show it to you. Go to Matthew 6 again, verse 5. Let's just read this so you can see exactly what he's saying. So mostly Jesus is calling out kind of the Jewish people today. Here he gets to the kind of outside the faith people. Verse 5, he says this. No, I mean verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. At the center of all this living checkup we need to do in our life, at the center is a God who knows exactly what we need. So we don't need to go out seeking approval from all these people because it's right there. Let me just show you in another, if this is a little confusing, here's a wordle. I put all the words in for this. What do you think the main point God wants us to get out of this message? This is the Sermon on the Mount. What's the word that stands out? So as you're thinking about this, if you lose the fatherhood of God, you've missed everything. You're not going to walk out of here and just think, how am I going to do better and not wanting people's approval? No, you got to walk out here and say, how do I crave the approval of God, my father, more than the approval of others? And it starts with this reality that he says, don't be like the Gentiles, the people outside the faith who think God hears them with their big words and elegant phrases, and he's impressed with them, and then he's obligated to come down and serve them. Like a babbling little kid who can't put together a sentence, you go to your God, your father, and he knows exactly what you need. You need to see the graciousness of God as a father. And then lastly, I'll just say this. We're not gonna spend a ton of time, but probably most of you have heard the Lord's Prayer. A lot, raise your hand if you haven't memorized from your past church experience. Yeah, good for you, me too. Good for us, everybody should look at us and think something special of us. (laughs) Get those hands up again. Everybody look at everyone with their hands. (laughs) Let me just read the Lord's Prayer and just say, Just kind of end on commentary on it. Lord's Prayer says this. Jesus says you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This prayer was not put here for high school football teams to kneel down and recite together before they go and win. This prayer was not put here for a whole congregation to stand up and read it without any sort of heart engagement. This prayer was put here so Christians, whether it's in a church body or alone in their closet, should pray this and make it their own. You need to see God as Father and start to move your approval need away from people onto God, but you also need to take your eyes off yourself, and that's what this prayer is all about. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word is holy, sanctified, set apart, heavy, weighty. I want your name to be made great. I need to pray that as a pastor and as a preacher. God, I want you to be made much of. If people think I'm amazing, I failed. failed. If people see something great about you, that's a win. God, I want that to be true in my life. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This world does not need more Josh and flavor of Josh. This world needs more of you and your kingdom. You pray that. You make it your own. Give us this day our daily bread. Don't ask for a billion things. Don't ask for your Mercedes. God, I need a few things in this life. Would you give them to me? Because I know if I prosper, there's the, there's the danger of forgetting you. But I also know that if I don't have enough and I'm suffering, there's the danger of me just forsaking you because I'm sick of the pain. So God, just give me enough to get through the day. And forgive us our debts. God, I had stacks and stacks and stacks of debts against you. And you threw them away on the cross. Help me to have that same mentality in every relationship I go into. That's the Lord's Prayer. Here's what I'd recommend you do. Those of you who didn't have your hands up, memorize it. Not so that you can be seen as something special, but so you can take that memorized prayer in whatever situation you're walking into, whether it's a situation where you know you seek the approval of others. You pray that and you make it your own and you paraphrase it to fit in your life right then, right there. God, this isn't about me. I want to make it about me. I want all my family members to think something special of me, but it's not about me. You need to be a part of this family more than I need to be known in this family. God, help me. And use that prayer to guide you as you enter into situations where Jesus says, beware of the craving in your heart that's for the wrong reward. Because your father, who sees it all in secret, is rewarding you and will reward you. Is that good news? He's watching. He's watching. Let's.